Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Well, the big news is now official. Walkinshaw Andretti United, once known as the Holden Racing Team, will run Ford Mustangs in supercars from 2023 onwards. The famous Holden squad will sever its racing ties to General Motors as part of a factory deal with the Blue Oval alongside Dick Johnson Racing, Tickford Racing, Grove Racing and the Blanchard Racing Team. We will discuss the ramifications of that later in the pod. Speaking of WAU, the team has also confirmed that it will field a wild card for Jaden Ojeda at Winter next week and in Darwin next month. There had been talk that Ojeda was going to do Super 2 with WAU this year. However, that deal never came together. That's not the only wild card news kicking about this week either. Uh, Jordan Boys will race at Winton and the Bend in an Erebus Academy entry run by Image Racing. There's supercars testing happening right now at Winton with the majority of the Melbourne teams in action, as well as Brock Feeney using one of his rookie days for Triple Eight. Scott Pye and Mark Winterbottom are sharing Winterbottom's car as repairs on the number 20 entry continue after its nasty crash in Perth. 20 cars will line up for this weekend's Bathurst 12-hour. It's a relatively modest field, as expected, roughly half of what we're used to. That's because there's little in the way of international teams on the grid because of the May date and the clashes with the European season. There are plenty of international drivers, though, though with Audi bringing the likes of Nathaniel Burton, Kelvin van der Linde, Ricardo Feller, uh, and Marcus Winkelhock over from its European GT program. There are some local hotshots in Audis, too, with Chaz Mostert, Lee Holdsworth, David Reynolds, and Cam Waters spread among among the seven R8s in the field. Craig Lowndes, meanwhile, will race a Porsche Cup car with Alex Davison, Jeff Emery, and Scott Taylor. Uh, that entry is dedicated to raising funds and awareness for the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. So a very good cause there. Joining me this week to discuss all that and much more is a teammate that I'd follow across any manufacturer divide, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? Well, Andrew, I'm still in shock. This uh, WAU Ford news is obviously a very big deal. It was a big bombshell that dropped last week, and there's plenty to talk about off the back of it. You'd actually brought this up as a rumor a few weeks back, but it seemed uh, pretty wild, pretty hard to get uh, my little brain around it. Has it sunk in for you yet? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, like I, I heard about this about six weeks ago. I did flag it with you and go, hey, a source has kind of told me that you know, Walkinshaws are going to run Fords next year. And and you were pretty quick to say, look, I just don't see how they would possibly devastate, you know, the old HRT fan base that they did so well to hang on to post-HRT by doing something like like that. And I guess those words were ringing through my ears when the rumours kept going on and right up to Sunday night when I had a source going, pull your laptop out and write the story. This thing is happening. And I obviously didn't do that just because it is – 
there are so many factors that make it such a sensational defection. Um, you know, it, it is a difficult thing to get your head around and a difficult decision to really come to terms with. The, the original point that you made when we did bring this up, you know, well over a month ago was a very wise one. You know, this is a very big risk for WAU. You know, that this team has the deepest of deep roots in the GM family. It was a powerhouse as the factory Holden supercars team. And even when the factory Holden money went to triple eight, so, so much of the support stayed with WAU because Triple Eight is a polarizing team for fans and it has a history with Ford. And it was, it wasn't the pure Holden outfit that WAU was and has been up until this point, at least. So, you know, I think that, I think that they, that there was still so much of the HRT fan base left. If they had gone and brought a whole new manufacturer into the sport, I think a large portion of that old HRT fan base would have been able to stomach it. They would have been able to get their head around that, particularly with the Holden brand being gone. But switching to Ford, you know, going to the arch rival, going to the enemy, this has to cost that team fans, right, Stefan? Yeah, I think for the the reasons you've pointed out, that the the true rusted on HRT fans that were there for the glory years of that team. Uh, through the 90s and 2000s uh, that had stuck with them through lean times because they saw them as the real HRT, the real Holden team over Triple Eight, um, have, you know, I, I feel for them. They have a right to be disappointed by this. Um, and, yeah, like you say, that WAU, like it was reinvented as that in 2018 when they brought in the new partners um, and they've been they've been vocal about wanting manufacturer backing and there's been all these rumours along the, along the journey of, Jaguar and BMW and blah, blah, blah. So I think there could have been some sort of preparation in the minds of the fans that uh, they might uh, go somewhere else at some point because obviously we're not even going to have Holden anymore next year. But um, for this team to, to go to forward, uh, the arch enemy, that's a whole nother level. Let's take a listen to what Ryan Walshaw had to say um, about his expectations of the fan reaction. These quotes come from a media briefing that we had on Friday morning uh, with a whole group of Ford executives. Um, there was, um, you know, Zach Brown was there. There was people in the States. There was people in Australia talking about this. Um, yeah, let's have a listen to what to what Ryan, Ryan had to say about his expectations of what the fans would think about the news. To be honest, the response has been a lot better than we thought. You know, you're always going to have a small minority of people that are incredibly vocal. And, um, and admittedly, it's a shock to, I think, most of the Australian motorsport and automotive community because... If you really thought about it a year ago, we probably would have been one of the teams that you would have thought would have been least likely uh, to make a switch like we've just made. Um, so I fully appreciate and have a lot of um, a, a lot of understanding on why a lot of the fans would find this shocking. In fact, a lot of why fans may even find this disappointing or, or even feel some anger towards it. But I think the vast majority of our fans, you know, they, they follow our team because of who we are. They follow our values. They follow our drivers. They follow the way that we go about business and they share the same passion for wanting to go and win races. And that's what we're really here to do. You know, we're not here to come second or third. And um, if you look at supercars over the last sort of 10 years, I think there's only one championship winner in the last 10 years that wasn't a factory supported team, um, which is a good indication of why, you know, the importance of being factory supported. If you want to go and win championships, it's really, really critical to our ambitions to do that. So, Stefan, you know, Ryan is effectively saying that he was pleasantly surprised by the backlash, that it wasn't more aggressive you know, on the surface, that sounds like a positive thing, but you know, in reality, I would actually be worried about. I would actually be worried if people didn't 
get upset by, you know, a move this big uh, and a defection this sensational. He was, however, speaking before the news was actually official. I think, you know, obviously there was a few of us that had written stories about the fact it was going to happen, but it wasn't until later that afternoon that, you know, the team itself came out and said, we're going to run forwards next year, which obviously amplifies things to a whole new level. And Ryan actually sort of penned an open letter to the fans trying to explain the news. What was your read on the backlash once it was a concrete done deal? Do you think it was fairly mild or did it ramp up a bit after Ryan made those comments? Well, it was interesting that the way it rolled out was not actually how they would have planned, but the fact that news broke a couple of days before the announcement did um, sort of give it a bit of time to breathe. Yeah. And there was an initial reaction from a lot of people and then, you know, some people still would have felt the same way on Friday, but um, there was there was a mix, basically. And, I mean, it, it strikes right at the heart of this conversation of whether fans follow manufacturers, teams or drivers. And it's sort of been talked about for, for a long time that, that it's moving away from just people being red or blue, one or the other, that uh, there's more team and driver loyalty out there. So that's that's an element. But, man, there's still some people incredibly loyal to GM and Holden, which is extraordinary in a way considering what's taken place in, in recent years. Like in this case, I, I don't think the fans should really vent their frustration with Walkinshaw when you look at the fact that Holden took away their factory deal and then General Motors killed Holden. And, and now Chevrolet Racing, this program is essentially only backing Triple Eight. So yeah. if anything, I see this as Walkinshaw stepping out of that sort of Triple Eight shadow and they're going to do it at a time when the redundancy cost is is not really as big, you know, the, the cost of changing because everyone's changing anyway. They're changing cars and engines for 2023. So nothing carries over. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And, you know, I think there is an element as much as um, – Actually, let's sort of discuss the rollout of the announcement a little bit, I think, just based on what you're saying there, because um, they really tried to um, talk about how there is no bad blood with GM. You know, they're going to work as hard as possible to promote the Holden brand and the GM brand until the end of this year. You know, this was about getting factory support elsewhere. They weren't getting it from GM, but it's all still happy families there. Um, There was kind of... You know, there was this concerted effort, you know, to try and downplay the impact of jumping the Ford GM divide. There was, you know, the, the Ryan Walter was pointing out these long lost ties to Ford through Tom Walkinshaw racing Capris in the British Touring Car Championship. And there was talk about, you know, Michael Andretti racing Ford powered Indy cars. And um, actually, let, let's have a listen to how it was actually framed um, during the briefing. So, actually, wherever you look in, in Walkinshaw and Andretti United, there's, uh, there's Ford links that go back in time. So, um, you know, whilst Walkinshaw name has always been synonymous with, with Holden and General Motors in Australia, um, Walkinshaw uh, internationally has always had a, a, a multiple uh, uh, focus on different manufacturers that we go racing with and that we do road car programs with. And, uh, you know, Ford has played a big part in that in certain different points. I even said to someone uh, yesterday, my mom was actually pretty quick to remind me that she actually met my dad 47 years ago yesterday driving a Ford Capri at, far, at, at Spa. Um, so, you know, the the the... the relationship with Ford for my family actually goes back a long period of time. It's just, you know, not as well known in Australia as our relationship with uh, with General Motors Holden. Well, Stefan, I know we live in the social media age of needing to tread very carefully with things. I know that, you know, WAU was trying to massage as many of those fans across the divide with them as 
possible and that sort of explains why maybe they didn't want to push as hard on the whole, hey, look at this, this is a massive deal. I think Ford would have liked to have gone with a, hey, we've poached the most famous Holden team of all time, theme a little harder but couldn't necessarily get that across the line. I mean, but if you want to be on the back page of the daily newspapers, you know, you kind of have to push out sensational this is. What did you make of it? Did they downplay it maybe a little bit too much? I think um, Walkinshaw are in a bit of a tricky spot with it. I mean, you don't want to be disrespectful to to GM anyway, but you've got to remember that Walkinshaw Group are still a partner on the roadcast side, yep. you know, doing the left-hand drive conversions for the Silverado, for GMSV and so on. So they couldn't really lean too hard into, into that element of it. Uh, like like you say, I thought it was interesting that they played up those Tom Walkinshaw early Ford connections part, and like I get why they did that, and it certainly takes away what you could expect some of their ignorant sort of Tom Tom would be angry sort of comments that yeah. they might get otherwise, but they did risk their feeling a little bit disingenuous and a bit duplicitous that they're almost claiming that they really bled blue the whole time, yeah. which is yeah. not what you want either. So, yeah, it's it's a tricky one to sort of get all the messaging out, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I understand why they did what they did, but like I say, if you want to be, you know, if, if you want to play with the big boy sports, then in terms of, mainstream media coverage, there was probably scope to just go a little bit harder on that. Let's just talk about the actual decision that they have made. I mean, we know for a fact, as you flagged earlier, that that WAU has tried to lure a new manufacturer into supercars. Ryan has gone on the record in the past to say he was very close to a deal before the pandemic derailed things. I mean, if you look at the makeup of that team, the ownership makeup, you know, between Ryan, Michael Andretti and Zach Brown, there are so many fingers in so many automotive pies. This is a well-known team. It's enjoying some success if we just don't talk about Perth at all. And geez, that was bad timing when it came to that announcement. Um, You know, owners with these incredible business networks and incredible ties to manufacturers from all over the world. Is it wrong to be a bit concerned that like if WAU can't land a new make to bring into the sport, like who can, Stefan? I think that's definitely a fair take. That that's this is the disappointing part, really, as as a neutral, the fact that um, WAU are in the position they clearly look like the strongest team you'd want to partner with as a manufacturer. And uh, they tried very hard. They were in the market um, for for a fair while trying to do something and they couldn't bring a new one in. Um, that's definitely a, a worry for the category, I think. And well, don't get me wrong, Gen 3 is still going to save the category. Having Ford and Chevrolet signed up is an amazing outcome yeah. for the sport compared to what it could look like. But it does also feel like we're living in the past um, with the product that, that Gen 3 offers without any new brand in there. Yeah, definitely. And particularly with the question marks over the future of the Camaro, you know, as a road car platform and all that sort of stuff as well. I think that's that's a reasonably fair point. And just to clarify, we're not being critical of the team there. That's It's just more of a red flag for the series itself that that team, if that team can't do it, you know, who, who kind of can. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. Let's talk about um, this factory deal. So this is going to be a Ford 
um, factory team. That was another big theme of the briefing, as we heard in those earlier comments from Ryan. You know, he said that having factory support is critical to success. That's why the team has rolled the dice, you know, and risked alienating um, fans by doing this deal. Now, my understanding is that there isn't much of a hierarchy in terms of forward support across those five teams. DJR does get a bit more than the others, as it is the homologation team. Um, And then it's even Stevens for the remaining squad. So that's Tickford Groves, uh, BART, and now uh, Walkinshaw and Ready United. Ford won't go into detail on what that support is. It certainly won't be purely financial. And in fact, it, it, it could be that the financial element is reasonably modest and the support comes in other ways. Stefan, do you kind of agree with this idea that any factory support, however it looks, is worth making the jump for this team? I can certainly see how being one of uh, multiple Ford endorsed teams with a product as in the Gen 3 Mustang that's being developed by Ford Performance in the United States would be more attractive than uh, being uh, not really even recognised by uh, Chevrolet Racing and racing a car developed by 888 if, if that was the the other option of the table, basically nothing. Um, but at the same time, yeah, this this explanation that it's, that it's vital to be a factory team to um, win the championship and this switch was all about factory support is a little bit confusing when Ford then go out and say DJR, Tickford, Groves and Blanchards are all factory teams. And, yeah, like, as you know, we're a long way from the days where, you know, your HRT or your FPR got $3 million cash per season from the manufacturers yeah. or whatever the exact number was. Um, and on the Ford side... Yeah, outside of DJR, which is the homologation team, which is a special case, uh, there's very little actual cash being given out um, to these other teams and some don't get any at all. So, you know, there might be a little bit of money for WAU, but it's going to be small for I compared to what it costs to go racing. And if you look at this case, they might lose more in T-shirt sales than they'll gain in, uh, in that manufacturer cash. So I can't really see pure money being the motivator for this, like... Um, the support from the manufacturer can also come in other things like R&D and uh, access to computing power and, and road car um, sort of access and, and so on. But, yeah, it's uh, this is the part that was sort of um, tabled as the, the critical part and the reason why, but we don't really know the full picture on what they're getting. There's a missing piece to the puzzle, I think. I think there's something that we don't quite know about. Now, Obviously, um, there is a presence through the Walkinshaw Group in the automotive world. They have an engineering and design, and they're you know a car manufacturer effectively. Um, is there something we're missing here? I mean, it it, it came up in the in the media briefing um, on Friday. You know, is there potential for a tie up between Ford Australia? and the Walkinshaw Group's wider automotive business. Um, Andrew Burkich, the uh, president of Ford Australia, was very quick to point out, actually quite aggressively pointed out, this is a motor racing announcement. We are not talking about road cars today. We are talking about motor racing. Walkinshaw Andretti United is different to the, the wider Walkinshaw Group. Ford Australia is talking about its support of supercars and supporting a supercars team. We're not discussing anything else at the moment. Ryan Walkinshaw was asked the same question and, you know, he had a slightly different take, which was, 
yeah, I run an automotive business and if I feel like there's scope to increase my customer base with this deal, then that's absolutely fantastic. And I'd love to have that conversation, but then sort of backed out, backed over the whole, you know, but today we're here to just talk about motor racing and, and you know, the only tie between WAU and the road car business is myself. So this is this announcement is a WAU announcement and a Ford Australia announcement. It's not a Ford Performance announcement. It's not anything to do with that. But certainly the, he left the door a lot wider ajar um, for something. Is there is there potentially – I mean, Prem Car is, has always been the sort of Ford Performance partner that sort of came out of FPV. I mean, it, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that maybe the opportunity to sink some claws into some Ford Australia business would be – a draw card as well, right, Stefan? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the product range that um, Ford have here with with Mustang and Ranger, but then also the fact the F-150 uh, is landing here in mid-2023, I think that's an interesting uh, aside as well because there's already a deal with another firm in place to convert those cars from left-hand drive to right-hand drive in Melbourne. But that product is going to be positioned then against these two Walkinshaw Group products, which are the Silverado and the Ram, which get converted by Walkinshaws in Melbourne. Yep. So it's a it's an interesting uh, sort of uh, landscape there. Um, so unless anything changes, there's uh, they'll be competing off track. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a bit of a, a watch this space. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, interesting to hear the Ford guys during the briefing talk about this is it for their supercars teams now. There will be 11 Mustangs on the on the grid next year uh, and that's it. I've actually clarified with Ford that another team can't field Mustangs even without factory backing, um, without Ford's permission. So, you know, Ford saying that this is it, that means another another team can't just go, well, we don't want to run Camaros. We want to run Mustangs and we're just going to do it. Ford have uh, the opportunity to block that and it sounds like that's exactly what they would do. What's your take on Ford having that say over what appears on the grid? That's really fascinating uh, and a little scary for the category, to be honest. This is not something that we expected to come out of this this announcement, that they can decide who races their cars. We did see a bit of this with with AMG and Volvo deals in the past and and obviously the ZB, you have to go to Triple Eight to buy some some components, but... um, this isn't how we thought Ford and, and Chevrolet were going to operate with this Gen 3. And the, the, the IP, for me, the IP needs to be based on homologating a car and then anyone can run it. Yeah. Like, sure, with Gen 3, there's a single engine supplier um, per manufacturer, but um, I would have thought they needed to be available for all that want to run those cars. So, I mean, yeah, the question here is what happens if GM tomorrow say we only want three teams or we just want Triple Eight or, or whatever? Uh, then you've got yourself a huge problem. Yeah, absolutely. No, that was always the system in the past. You couldn't just go and make a car. You couldn't just go, I'm going to go build a Toyota Camry supercar without Toyota's permission to homologate that car using the badge and using the the body shape and the IP. But once you once that car was homologated, if a team decides they want to buy the components and build that car, then that's how they could do it. So it's definitely a um, it's definitely an interesting way to go about it. But it's been an interesting week, Stefan. There's lots of interesting things going on. So um, I guess, yeah, what a what a weird week for supercars and what a weird moment it's going to be to see uh, Walkinshaw Mustangs on the grid next year and, and like lifelong Holden driver Nick Perkett in a Ford Mustang as well. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be something different. 
All right, Stefan, it's Bathurst 12 hour week. There's a bit of a different vibe to past 12 hours, I have to say. You know, I'm not trying to be critical of anything, but there's not quite the buzz going around that perhaps we've seen in the past. Obviously, the date has something to do with that. Normally, it's the very start of the season and we're sort of amped to be going back to a racetrack and all that sort of stuff. Uh, 20-car grid, you know, again, it's understandable, but it does feel pretty underwhelming, even though there are some very handy drivers uh, in the field from both home and abroad. So certainly from a driver caliber point of view, it looks pretty good, but it's not it's 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 a small field. There's no way around that. What's your pre twelve hour vibe? Is is twenty cars enough to make this a spectacle? Do you think? I think um, it can still be a pretty interesting race, especially uh, for the TV audience. It probably hurts the trackside fan a little more only having twenty cars. Yeah. But uh, the first thing we've got to do is see if we can get twenty cars to the start line. Yeah. Because traditionally we always lose a couple mm-hmm. during practice and qualifying. Last year. Oh, uh, sorry, 2020, um, the last 12 hours, five cars crashed out before Sunday. Uh, with these things, when they go in the wall, they normally go in pretty quick and uh, the chassis, you can't just uh, cut some stuff off and, and we'll, weld we'll it up like on. you can yeah. with the supercar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of practice and qualifying to get to before, uh, before we get to the race. And then, um, as you've written about this week, uh, fog is uh, a bit of a concern too at this time of year that um, – there could be a significant portion of the race in the morning, uh, worst case, under under fog conditions. But um, as you say, there's still like plenty of quality um, drivers coming, some quality cars needing to have an AM driver in every lineup. Um, certainly changes a little bit of how the race would play out and there's going to be a lot of pressure on those AMs. But then in the last few hours or pretty much the second half of the race, it should be uh, the big boys uh, battling it out like we've always seen. So in terms of picking a winner, like I think the AAA car is looking looking pretty strong. If you've got Shane Van Gisbergen in a in a car with four wheels on it at the end, <laughs> it's probably uh, going to be in there somewhere. Yep. Um, and they have added that like sort of lucky dog rule as well that might help if the M driver um, does fall off the lead lap to to get someone back through. But I think. Um, yeah, if we're doing tips, then the the safest bet is just saying that a German car is probably going to win it. Yeah, I think that is uh, that, that is a fairly safe bet. I actually am finding the pro am aspect interesting in terms of trying to trying to read the form. I guess because it's such a the temptation is to just look at go well. Is the am driver going to be going to make the difference? You know, is that where you need to look? But because it's such a long race and you do have that op- option to get back on the lead lap, it's kind of it it isn't. You know, someone as long as I can bring the car back. They, they can't necessarily make or break the race. Um, there's certainly plenty of cars. If I sort of run through the cars that you sort of go, well, these guys are, you know, on paper the real contenders. There's plenty of cars in the Melbourne Performance Centre stable that could win the thing, you know, like Chaz Mostert, Fraser Ross and Liam Talbot, pretty strong lineup. Ricardo Feller, Yasser Shahin, Marcus Winklehop. Like that's a that's a very strong lineup. Um, Yasser for an AM driver is very very fast, but I, I agree with you. You can't go past that Triple A Mercedes as you know the contender, probably the favourite. Uh, maybe even the Grove Racing Porsche. They were pro AM winners last time out at the twelve hour with the same lineup with Brenton and Stephen Grove and Ben Barker. Although obviously the pro AM field is a lot stronger this time around than it was in twenty twenty when we still had the full pro lineups. But anyway, I think it's going to be a um, it's going to be an interesting weekend. 
All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Another week in NASCAR, another controversial finish. Joey Logano pushed William Byron out of the way to win in Darlington. Uh, Byron wasn't too impressed and called Logano an idiot and a moron after the race. Jamie Chadwick won both W Series races in Miami during the Miami GP weekend. And as for the GP itself, that was won by Max Verstappen. He used his top speed advantage over the Ferraris well to get ahead of Charles Leclerc early in the race and held off a late charge from Leclerc after a late safety car to grab victory. He's now won every race that he's actually finished this season, although if he'd finished in Australia, he wouldn't have won that because he was a long way behind. But as it as it goes, he's you know if he finishes, he wins. Carlos Sainz finished third ahead of Sergio Perez and Mercedes pair George Russell and Lewis Hamilton. The safety car fell nicely for Russell, who went for a very long uh, first stint on hard tyres uh, and then got a free stop to sort of end up on the mediums at the right time. Daniel Ricciardo finished 11th on the road but was demoted to 13th with a post-race time penalty for gaining advantage by leaving the track. Stefan, what did you make of the of the first Miami GP? Like the hype and everything was unbelievable. There was just – the drivers just didn't seem to like, like that track at all. Yeah, I was amazed by the – level of driver honesty about the track you know there was a lot of criticism about the surface about the walls like not having tech pro barriers just having concrete in a couple of spots where people came unstuck um which was which was around that slow chicane that people didn't didn't like anyway so um in a race that was clearly very important commercially for formula one um it was i, I found it quite uh, impressive in a way that the drivers could still speak so honestly. I guess we, we live in this world of supercars knowing that uh, if the same thing happened down here, those drivers would be in the bad book for life <laughs> with, uh, with supercars. But uh, as, as you say, it certainly was big on, uh, big on showbiz from that fake marina that got so much uh, airtime in the lead-up to the event to the uh, bizarre scenes after the race with the police escort to the podium. And, uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of sort of – only in America moments uh, from the weekend, I reckon. Yeah, the football helmets on the on the podium and all that sort of stuff. The funny thing is I was, um, you know, obviously, yeah, the drivers weren't happy with the track. I think there's a bit of tension between the drivers and, you know, and the FIA and Formula One at the moment with all this pushback on underwear and, and just the stuff that, you know, drivers briefings going for four hours when they used to go for 15 minutes and this jewelry thing and this underwear thing and drivers sort of saying, well, hang on a minute, you know, we're getting raked over the coals because Lewis Hamilton, you know, wants to leave a piercing in wherever that may be while he's in the car. But we all sat there in the driver's briefing and every single one of us said, you need to put a tech pro barrier there and you didn't. Like maybe that's what we should be worried about, not not where Lewis has metal stuck or where he doesn't or whatever. Um, so I guess that might have played into it. I was listening to uh, Toto Wolf's um, uh, written media uh, conference after the race yesterday, and he was talking to someone asked him about, it, and he said, "No, no, forget about the drivers complaining about the track. You know, if the track's not perfect, and if you know there's not grip everywhere on and offline, the driver's going to be upset. The track looks great. You know, it was hard to overtake. You could make mistakes. It was probably exactly what we want from a spectacle. There was a, a fair bit of overtaking, even if the race at the front wasn't that good until that late." safety car and the event was a 9 out of 10 and next year they'll know how to tidy up a few things and it'll be a 10 out of 10 so certainly a different aspect and you know it is also yeah it's it's good to remember that what drivers want isn't necessarily what is going to make the best motor racing as well but from an event point of view it looked uh it looked it looked pretty cool and it's just another sign of that that massive upswing in popularity that formula 1 is enjoying at the moment I thought after Abu Dhabi last year, what the drivers wanted was uh, all rules being applied to their absolute letter. 
but uh, the new regime doing that uh, in terms of uh, the piercings and the underwear and whatever has uh, also got them offside. But just to just to go over the race itself, like, um, are you surprised that there's so much criticism after a race like that of it being like boring? Uh, I, f- I found it pretty entertaining. Like there was always something to watch, and uh, then obviously the safety car towards the end sort of brought the brought the battle at the front back to life again and we've got um, this Ferrari Red Bull arm wrestle that now Ferrari's under pressure to um, to bring some more performance in order to uh, retain the championship lead like um, I think I thought it was a good good race on Sunday no I totally agree I, I sort of watched it um, you know being on the west coast of Australia the timing was fairly unfortunate for a US race so I watched it uh, on catch up um, on Monday morning and I'd already seen some feedback from people going, oh, what an absolute snore fest of a race. And then when I watched it, I was like, this is pretty good. And, it's yeah, like I say, it's it's fun when the track's not perfect. You know, it should be hard for these blokes. So I totally agree. I think it was a I think it was a pretty good race. And, you know, you talk about the sort of swinging form and the way we just keep it sort of seeing it seesaw. I mean, those Mercedes were quick in practice and they've obviously still got work to do on a race package and that thing and they've obviously got work to do to get it into the window all of the time. But it seems that if they can jam it into its performance window, it goes really fast. And you just can't rule out, you cannot rule out them rocking up, maybe not Barcelona, but rocking up somewhere with a new floor on the thing that just makes it an absolute rocket. And you also can't rule out Ferrari doing exactly the same thing and being going a second and a half slower as well because they've got form in that. They've got form in terms of upgrading in in that direction as well. So it is, it is still you know after Albert Park we felt like the championship was basically over and now it feels very delicately poised. Um, and if anything, Red Bull has kind of got the upper hand because that thing just seems to have just the best operating window out of all the cars if you sort of average it out over the circuit. So fascinating. It's a, a fascinating year of Formula One racing, no doubt about that. All right, let's take a look in the Castrol mailbag. Andy Anderson asked about Logano's pass on Byron. Fair or foul is his question. I mean, it definitely wasn't fair, but in the NASCAR playbook, it's not a foul either. So, Stefan, like this, NASCAR is just so different from the heavily stewarded racing that we're accustomed to, uh, where the slightest contact just under immense scrutiny and causes huge controversy and all this sort of stuff. I mean, imagine a NASCAR fan watching Cam Waters and Will Davison at Wanneroo and going like, what on earth is the is the carry-on here? Like, that was absolutely nothing. What's your take on the NASCAR no-rules, self-policing sort of system? Yeah, it's, it's a real cultural thing because um, it's pretty much become standard practice in NASCAR. And uh, the question sort of over there, after an incident like that, seemed to not be looking at uh, Logano's sort of punt into the back of Byron on the penultimate lap that um, that took the win. But they then go back and analyse this incident 26 laps earlier that Logano claims was the reason he was angry and wanted to like retaliate. So they go, oh, was it fair based on whether he actually owed him one back or not? Like, are they square now or does Byron now owe him one in the next race? Which, um, yeah, as you say, is just so far removed from how we steward uh, things here and and this concept of driving standards and how you should uh, sort of operate. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it it does – because I'm we're so used to this way of going about it, it sort of does put me off watching NASCAR a bit, to be honest, because, like – in, in those last laps, Joey's chasing him down and 
to me, I want to see a race. I want to see him yeah. get to his bumper and then race him and try to pass him. And in this case, as soon as he got there, he just put him in the wall. Yeah. Like he didn't attempt to make a pass or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's not really my sort of racing, but I can also see how this um, fuels the, the entertainment factor of NASCAR and how those who are really into it, uh, some of them would, would love it. Yeah, it's. I, I always find it actually amazing that it's it's just not a demo derby. Like they actually do race sometimes, even though they don't have to. You can just punt <laughs> blokes off, and I just think, you know, like if you looked at the supercars midfield, if you suddenly tomorrow said there's no more rules, we wouldn't get a race done. It would be under red flag like all of the time. It would just be it'd be just a, a demo derby and nothing else. Anyway, it's time for our Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, who have you got this week? Well, for my Castrol Star of the Week, I want to recognise the trackside staff and officials who came to the aid of the Jim Reed Racing crew members at Sydney Dragway. As many would have seen, they were working on their car in the in that sort of pre-staging area when a huge backfire occurred in the engine. Five crew members were hospitalised, but thankfully the most significant injury was a cut hand. So uh, credit to everyone involved in, in dealing with that situation and the processes they had in place there. But also to our mate Chad Nalon, who was broadcasting live when it happened right behind him. How he didn't swear when that thing exploded <laughs> behind his back is beyond me. But also, I mean, his efforts to go and help immediately, that was his instincts. Uh, highly commendable there. So, um, yeah, well done to all involved who uh, limited the... Uh, severity of that situation. That is a very good choice and a very worthy collective star of the week there, Stefan. I like it. I'm going to go with Alex Albon. Uh, him and his red hair finished ninth in Miami, a second points finish. Uh, he looks to be putting together a pretty handy season uh, for Williams there and, you know, his comeback year to Formula One as he looks to rebuild his career. He's doing a very, very good job of it. So he gets my gold Castrol star this week. Uh, and that's it for this week. Uh, remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.